all the consumer hears is free money. They're like, yay. But there's downsides to that free money. The government and these politicians are utilizing this student loan forgiveness as a political football. The only reason they're talking about it is to get more votes. And I will tell you that the country cannot afford this, period. There is no way that the country can afford, whether it's $50,000 or $10,000. And frankly, I'm disgusted by when politicians get up there and talk about this. It's not that I don't want people to feel financially secure, but using this to gain votes, this is not $50,000 or $10,000. This is billions of dollars or trillions of dollars. When And where does it end? And more importantly, my problem with this conversation is where's the fairness? What about the person that has spent 20 years paying off their loans for a school that they paid for in full? And then a year later, somebody who chose not to pay off their loans gets it, gets it paid off by the government? To me, that's inherently wrong. In today's episode, I speak with Howard Dvorkin, CEO of Debt.com. It was very important for me to speak with guests who expressed concerns about the proposed student loan forgiveness program. Remember, there are two sides to every conversation. What I was struck by was that when I asked him for suggestions on how to address the student loan crisis, Howard was aligned with what my other guests suggested as well. Basically, even though there wasn't necessarily a consensus on the student loan forgiveness policy, there did seem to be a growing consensus among my guests about how to prevent this from ever happening again. I enjoyed this conversation, and I really hope that you will too. Please note, nothing in this conversation should be construed as financial advice, and this show is for entertainment purposes only. Do your due diligence. As a result of my debt payoff experience, I was super skittish about ever getting another credit card again. I hate to admit that when it was finally time to sign up for my first card in years, I chose badly. I hate this new card and I wish that I had known about cash freely when making this decision. What I love about this free tool is the following. It helps credit card users stay organized when using different cashback rewards programs. And side note, the card that I picked does not have cashback rewards, which was one of the mistakes that I made. Anywho, you don't have to worry about leaving cash on the table. Cash freely helps credit card users optimize the different cashback rewards programs that may be a part of current cards you're using or future cards that you may be considering. And just maybe that extra cash can be applied as an extra payment on your student loan. Okay, I had to go there. Again, this is a free app or you can use the website and I think you should check it out. Click on the link in my show notes to learn more about it. My name is Howard Dvorkin. I'm chairman of Debt.com. I'm a CPA as well. I have been in the debt relief space for the last 30 years. Uh, One of the companies that I founded 
is now the largest credit counseling agency in the world. Uh, been helping people get out of debt and all types of debt for, for even before that, probably 35 years in total. So I know what I'm talking about. I have two books uh, on the credit and, and how to get out of debt. And I've been interviewed by every major TV network, uh, every major magazine, every major newspaper for over the last 25 years. Howard, how did you even get into this career? How did, what happened to have you decide to help people pay off debt? It's a great question. It's funny because, you know, in my family, debt was never an issue because we never got in debt. Our house was paid for, our bills, our cars were paid for in cash, everything. We never had debt. Growing up, my parents grew up in the post-Depression era, and they had that mentality, you pay for things in cash, and you never, ever go to the bank and ask for a loan, because the only time they'll give you a loan is when people don't actually need a loan. So we were brought up in that mindset. Fast forward, I'm a CPA working for a firm in Washington, D.C. in the late 80s, and they had this thing called the banking crisis, the savings and loan crisis. And during the week, I would help people manipulate their way out of this uh, banking situation where all their loans were getting called. And on the weekends, I actually helped shut down banks and, and just kind of went through and dug through their paperwork and their loans and figured out who owed what. So I had a very good understanding of what was going on in the country. However, my clients were worth tens of millions of dollars and they didn't get Howard Dvorkin unless they were willing to pay for it. And I often wondered, what about the average guy? And I then bought a house and I'm sitting there getting these bills in. And this is just the time when gas stations were taking credit cards and you could use credit cards at, the, at your grocery store. You're able to go through. And I'm sitting there, I just bought a house, whether I had groceries coming in that I used my credit cards for or a couch at $3,000. I said, wow, this is kind of addictive. And although I paid my bills off in full every month, I said, this is a little bit weird. I bet people could get themselves in trouble. And I went to the library and I looked and I researched and I said, lots of people are in trouble, but nobody knows how to get themselves out of debt. And there was a company, a consortium of companies that were all through the United States, but you needed three months to get an appointment just to get in there and have somebody help you. I said, scratch my head. I said, that doesn't make much sense. If you're in debt and you got collectors calling you, you got to have immediate service. So I turned around and I said, let's see if we did this on the phone. And everybody said, you're nuts, you're crazy. 
you can't do this. You're a prominent CPA. You have a great career. You're out of your mind. So I placed some ads, some classified ads in some magazines. And all of a sudden, the phones start ringing. I need help. I need help. And here, I'm dealing with people that were really in trouble. And it's a darn good feeling to get somebody out of debt. And I've been doing it for 30 years. I probably have helped myself and my organization. I probably assisted well over 10 million people through the course of my career. And, you know, I love what I do. And, and frankly, I know at the end of the day, when I walk out the door, I have changed somebody's life for the better. What were some of the, um, you talk about the addictiveness of some of these financial tools out there that people have access to. What other financial headwinds did you notice in, in running debt.com and creating this amazing resource for folks? What were the, some of the pressures or issues that you found your clientele dealing with? Did something surprise you or not, or just uh, feel free to share? I think looking back, people's attitude towards money has changed over the years. I was brought up where if you can't afford something, you don't buy it. Now it's immediate gratification and people, if they want something, they're going to find a way to buy it, whether they can afford it or not. The other challenge is people's attitudes towards debt has changed. Before, it was a terrible thing to be put in, that you're in debt. There was some shame of that you can't pay your bills. Now, people look at it as that's what everybody does. Nobody can afford to pay their bills. Also, the surprising part was when I first started, older people did not retire with debt. I'm seeing that older folks going into retirement are retiring with debt. And that is problematic because as they retire or semi-retire, they're making less money and they, are, they don't have the ability to service that debt or pay it off. So that is a big concern. The attitude of consumers towards being in debt has changed dramatically over the last 30 years. Uh, bankruptcy was a taboo. It was something to be ashamed of now. It's just a few signatures, a few pieces of paper, and $1,500, and you're debt-free. What do you make of that change in, in how people view debt? Do you think it's like, what, what's your take on this? That's a great question. I mean, I think it's bad. I think it's bad. People are living a lifestyle that they can't afford. They see it in social media. They see it on TV. They see it in the magazines. And, and the attitude of, I deserve to live like that. I deserve to, to drive a Mercedes or a BMW. I may not have the job that allows me to, to do that, but I deserve that and I'm going to go do it. And the financial companies to accommodate that desire and that, that want are making it easier and easier. If you think about it, you know, 
there was no such thing as a seven-year auto loan. But cars have gotten so expensive over the years, they have seven-year auto loans. And the, the loan may outlive the use of the car, which is sad. So it's a big challenge in this country right now. I'm going to ask one more question that's that's a little off topic, but we'll tie it all together. Um, but I, I am curious about it in terms of this thread of the conversation. What What's your thought about products such as Klarna and Afterpay, the, the kind of buy now, pay later, where you can actually take the item home with you. You did talk about just having access to things and how before I am old enough to remember Kmart layaway because it still yeah. exists. It still yeah. exists. But the thing with Kmart, Kmart does it. Kmart does it. <laughs> well, but Kmart layaway was interesting or layaway as a, a business model, as a product, because you didn't go home with the item. Right. So you would go to the store and you would pay a little bit. And then what, usually by the time it's Christmas, you know, folks would get their item. And then in, in recent years when Kmart was still with us, uh, you would hear stories of people, just generous folks who would go in and pay off thousands of dollars of layaways. In keeping with this train of thought on not depriving yourself or, or having access to things that maybe you could say no to, depending on what your finances are. What are your thoughts about the, the buy now, pay later model where you can actually have this stuff in your house as you're paying it off? The buy now, pay later model is going to blow up. Actually, we're seeing it blow up already. It's a great idea. It just can't work. 43% of the loans that are given out in the buy now payday lenders are to subprime people. What that means is 43%, almost half the business that is given that, that people are taking out loans are to risk the riskiest level of clients. That's a problem. They are giving loans to people that probably cannot and will not pay it back. The business model is not a good one. And you're starting to see the cracks. They're lowering their credit standards in order to entice people to get further in debt. I think I said it earlier, if you don't have the money, you shouldn't be buying things. And that holds true. They are betting on people's emotions that they want the products right now, right then. And it's an impulse buy. So they're going to give people loans that probably aren't going to be able to pay it back. That's a problem. The other thing is the buy now, pay, pay later model is focusing on younger people, 18 to 30 years old. That's where a lot of people are utilizing it and they do not understand the product. All they hear is you don't have to make a payment. There's no interest, just pay 25%. So they may go out and buy items from five different companies offering this. And all of a sudden for the next few months or year, possibly they have some big payments coming at them. The other problem is, is that it doesn't help you on your credit report because the 
buy now, pay later uh, providers do not report to the credit bureaus right now. What will hurt you, however, is that if you default, the collection agencies will report you as delinquent. So right now, I don't like the product. I think it's getting people into debt. I don't think the business model has potential to last the way it's structured now. I think you'll see a lot of these folks that got a lot of this press go out of business and take a lot of consumers with them. And I will say that the people that are taking these loans, the 18 to 30 year olds, that's the majority of the people that are utilizing it because they're finding it online, this product. In the real world of credit, 18 to 30 year olds only represents 13% of the credit population. So, and this is focusing on younger people and they're going to get hurt. It's not a great product. It has a very, very limited lifespan in my mind. You just got to understand the product. And I will tell you that I've had people come to me saying, this is the greatest thing. I just did this. I go, tell me about it. Well, no interest. Okay. Tell me a little more about it. That's all I know. (laughs) And they don't understand the product. So it's challenging. This is actually, these comments are actually a great segue into the conversation that we're here for, which is on the potential of a student loan forgiveness program. And I really was struck by the point where you, you were saying that there are a lot of folks who really don't understand the financial tool that they're using. And given the type of business that you have, what has been the conversation around student loan forgiveness or as a potential policy, or have you had clientele, have you had chatter from your clientele about the potential of that? What's your read on where your community is at in terms of what they think should happen with a policy such as that? Are they hopeful for hoping for student loan forgiveness? Are they indifferent? Or are you getting people reaching out, needing help and support, even though for the past couple of years, we've had a pause on the federal loans? I'm going to answer that in a couple different segments. The first segment is all the consumer hears is free money. They're like, yay. But there's downsides to that free money. The government and these politicians are utilizing this student loan forgiveness as a political football. The only reason they're talking about it is to get more votes. And I will tell you that the country cannot afford this, period. There is no way that the country can afford, whether it's $50,000 or $10,000. And frankly, I'm disgusted by when politicians get up there and talk about this. It's not that I don't want people to feel financially secure, but using this to gain votes, this is not 50,000 or $10,000. This is billions of dollars or trillions of dollars. When And where does it end? And more importantly, my problem with this conversation is where's the fairness? What about the person that has spent 20 years paying off their 
loans for a school that they paid for in full. And then a year later, somebody who chose not to pay off their loans gets it gets it paid off by the government? To me, that's inherently wrong. The other problem is, and I'll use an example, Michelle, and I use this example. Two, two people living next to each other, they have similar jobs, similar salaries. They have, each one went to a college, one went to a private school, one went to state school because he couldn't afford the private school. The state school guy went and paid off his student loans over the course of the last 15 years, paid it off in full, he's done. The private school neighbor went through and didn't pay off his debt, got deferrals, made smaller payments. He still has $50,000 to pay off. And they get the same salary, but one chose to play the system and keep those student loans rolling. The other one did the right thing, paid off their debt. Now, the one that went to the fancy private school has, is getting a benefit. And who's paying? The guy that cuts each of their yards. The guy, their gardener is paying because that's who's going to end up paying for it. They are giving student loan relief to a person that benefited from the education, in theory, that is, has a higher paying job, in theory, and they're asking the people that couldn't go to school to pay for that, that person's debt. That is inherently unfair for a whole host of reasons. That being said, you know, I have an issue with politicians using this in order for them to keep their their so-called power. I'm passionate about this because I think it's wrong. I do have a plan that would make this simple, I believe. And I've actually run it across some politicians over the years, and they tend to agree. Instead of charging five, six, seven percent interest and waiving ten or fifty thousand dollars, why don't you just charge? 2% interest on all federal student loans to accredited universities, just 2% interest. Now, isn't that more fair than giving Mr. Smith $50,000 and asking his the guys that work for Mr. Smith to pay for it? That doesn't make sense to me. I actually want to ask another question. You talk about lowering the interest rate for the loans. Do you think that there's also uh, room in terms of um, capping the loans at the graduate level? In the numerous conversations I've had with this, and I've spoken to people who are on both sides of the issue, they're very passionate, but a consistent thread that I hadn't considered is that undergraduate loans are capped and graduate loans are not. And so do you think in addition to changing the percentage, you know, the APR on the loan that you, that there's room to to have a conversation about capping what people can borrow? I think that makes sense. I do think that makes sense. And it puts this burden on the schools, the universities 
to run an efficient business model and there's not this open bank account. Universities in general are the worst run organizations in this country. What other business can raise their prices at 9%, 8 8 to 9% year after year and still not have pushback from from its customers? The universities are extremely inefficient. They literally, and I know this because I sit on a board of a university. Actually, I've sat on two boards of universities. And the problem with them, nobody's watching them. It's acceptable to raise your your tuition because most of the tuition is getting paid by these student loans. So the user doesn't care if you raise my tuition four or $5,000 this year, because it's going on the student loans anyway. The, the problem with universities are they're not getting enough production out of their professors, out of their people. I would love a job where I have to teach three hours a week or maybe 10 hours a week and do quote unquote research the rest of the time. What am I doing? What kind of research am I doing for 30 hours a week? Oh, and I get the summers off too. I mean, it is an inefficient model. Universities should be run like businesses and be not be able to just raise their fees just because they can. And you put pressure on those institutions to be efficient, to make their people work a little harder. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Do you think that there also there's also a conversation to be had in terms of return on investment? As much as we're told we should get educated, we should go to college, what have you, I do think that we need to have a conversation about if I go to this school, am I going to get a job? Am I going to get advised on career services so that I'm being um, assisted with the end part of the educational process? And I feel like that's a, a key part of the conversation in terms of school affordability that not enough people talk about the other I spoke with some of the other guests and I'm like do you remember what it was like to get advised on your loans and a lot of them they're like we don't even remember anymore <laughs> um the other thing was and and I've spoken to uh, interestingly a lot of lawyers on in this this series one of the things that I found very interesting though was the conversation around return on investment and cost it's interesting to me that people on both sides of this conversation are in agreement about colleges in particular really being needing to be forced to, to um, reassess their business models and us being a part of that, that conversation in the Department of Education and so on and so forth. Um, because it doesn't make sense that when I was in college, I, I kid you not, Howard, uh, when I was in college, I lived in the student dorms and I was, I wasn't the first kid to go to college in my family, but I was one of the first to go the way that I did. So I went, I went away for college and it was very nice school, whatever. And senior year, we all lived the senior dorms and you had to walk across this winding, beautiful bridge to get to the dorms. And I lived in a suite, like an apartment with five, five other girls. It was a suite of five bedrooms and one shared room. 
every week we had someone who came in to clean. This was not something we requested. This was just a service that was provided by the school. Now, on the one hand, I'm glad that the woman who came in and cleaned our dorm had the job. But on the other hand, I didn't have work. I didn't have a professional career (laughs) to be paid. Like that is crazy to me as an adult to think about the fact that when I was working at a fast food place on the campus, so I could eat that every week we had someone come into our apartment. It wasn't like it was a, you know, a dormitory, but they came directly inside to clean and change the toilet paper and all this stuff that we could have done. Mm-hmm. And we I, had to pay that cost. Can I ask what school that was? I'm not sharing. I'll share after this. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it, it's it's a great school, but it's still, uh, you know, like I keep some things off of the- uh, The reason why I ask, it sounds like I have two kids in college and it sounds like where one of mine went. That's why I- <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll let you know afterwards. <laughs> okay. So to answer, I guess the, you're asking the wrong person that Mm. question i believe everybody there there should be one major in college and it's called accounting so people know how to manage money it's funny i had a friend of mine send me a picture of her son standing outside of a university a prestigious university with next to the sign of the university i said oh that's wonderful i said what major is he going to study? She said, cinema studies. I said, you got to be kidding. (laughs) You're going to pay $80,000 a year so your son can watch movies for the next four years? And she goes, yep, that's what he wants to do. I said, I told her the story. I was married to a woman who had a similar degree, actually the same degree. And she came out and did something totally different. But she had an, a very interesting time. And she, you know, she came through with a liberal arts degree in cinema studies. <coughs> and, you know, but she did something completely different. It's not like you could utilize that study unless you were going to move to L.A. or New York. I guess the answer to your question is a return on investment. I believe that if you have the aptitude, you should go to school. But there are lots of people, lots of successful people, lots of intelligent, successful people that have never went to school because of desire, because of opportunity, because of money. (coughs) But, you know, it doesn't, school doesn't teach you everything in life. It teaches you how to manage. It teaches you how to manage your time. It teaches you how to to communicate with people. And probably 50% of your time in school is social. And the other 50 is academics. It's not for everybody. Um, Some would say that a lot of the times that people never use their degree I will tell you if it's a specific education, such as law, accounting, science, things like that, medical, uh, it prepares you for a job, but certainly it does not allow you to, not every education 
that you receive is, is can be utilized and, and you can't make money on it. There is a certain part of me that says, you know, for some people it's an absolute waste and it's a placeholder. And for some people it's great. I'm curious about your thoughts around, um, so currently federal loans in particular are on a pause and have been paused because of, because of COVID and what, you know, the fallout with that, but it's been over two years now. And um, aside from the potential, like the conversations around the optics in a political year. So I want to remove that piece from this question. What are your thoughts about the pause that currently is in existence and how, say there is no student loan forgiveness that, that moves forward, Okay. How do we transition people back into having that line item in their budget and, and to prepare for this? Because, um, you know, candidly, I think people, they allocated those funds to do other things, not necessarily fun stuff. People saved money for emergency funds. They may have allocated that money to pay off other debt, what have you. So if you are a person coming to debt.com and you're like, I'm nervous about when my loans are due again. And I, I changed my spending over the last couple of years, as you would expect, depending on where people were in the country and the type of work they were doing. What advice would you give them to prepare for the eventuality that this is not going to be moving forward and, and what to do next? Michelle, that's an excellent observation on your part. And it's a very big concern for me. These people haven't, by the time we're done with this, this uh, moratorium on paying student loans, it'll be three years or almost three years. And it is a massive issue because you're going to have tremendous defaults coming at you. And, you know, they should make plans and make provisions to rework the loans into people's budgets. However, you know, I think, I know you didn't want to go there, but it, the f- initial pause or moratorium on uh, collecting student loans and making payments was needed. The country was under a pandemic. That was the first one. The second one, maybe needed. The third, the fourth, the fifth, no way. That was all politics. And they, the unfortunate, fortunate part is the current administration is going to cause massive defaults on student loans in hopes of getting student loan forgiveness pushed through at some level, which will never, it may happen, I doubt it will, because at the end of the day, this country cannot afford to give away that much money. It is a massive issue that this current administration has caused this country. And we are about to see this blow up and there's gonna have to be some reconciliation on how to fix these massive defaults. Could you expand your comments on the defaults? Why would people default on these loans? Is it because they're not financially prepared to pay or what's the rationale behind that? Human beings in general, they're very, they get used to things and it's hard to change that. If somebody says, 
you don't have to pay this $500 a month for this month, next month, the month after. Okay, thanks. But if you say you don't have to pay this $500 for the next two to three years, well, they're going to find another use of that $500 a month. Maybe they're going to buy a new house. Maybe they're going to buy a new car. You know, maybe they're going to buy a new pocketbook. I don't know what people have done. Well, I do know what people have done and where the money has gone. That, unfortunately, people get used to a certain lifestyle that they can't afford. And this is allowing them the problem or the, or the ability not to pay their debt for a certain amount of time. And now you're gonna go back and say, yeah, we're just kidding. You have to start making payments the first of the year. And there's gonna be defaults. They're gonna say, how can I pay that? I have this brand new car payment that I have. And what if I don't pay it and use the money to pay the student loan, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna lose my car and I can't lose my car or my new fancy house. So you've got some serious issues caused by this, you know, uh, uh, prohibition of paying back student loans. It's a major, major issue. I do want to push back a little bit or, or reframe this in terms of chatter that I hear um, around the affordability of, if I were budgeting for the government, I would eliminate a lot of things so that certain policies could happen. Or I, I just feel like, I remember in 2008, I feel it like it was 2007 through 2009, that's a better way to put it, when different administrations were doing the bank bailout and the automotive bailout as well. Currently, we are allocating quite a bit of money towards Ukraine, as we should. I often feel like the U.S. has quite a bit of money, but how we allocated for citizens is really intriguing to me and not necessarily always in a positive way. I've lived in Europe before to help kind of frame where this mindset is coming from. And it's frustrating to me to, even though I agree that we should support militarily, you know, what's happening now and we should pay for different projects and what have you, I do get frustrated when things for American citizens who pay taxes. It's not like, it's, you know, we're all paying taxes and we are unable to create budgets that have that in mind, you know, the U.S. citizen in mind. Because what's the point of having a federal budget if it doesn't necessarily address some of the, the issues that impact citizens, right? Interestingly, I live in Colorado, as I mentioned before we started, and Colorado has a balanced budget. Each year, the budget must balance. And I will never forget in 2020, they had the budget planned, everything was ready to go. And um, then COVID hit. COVID hit. Uh, oh, I'm just getting chills thinking about it. COVID hit. And then they had to go back and they had to cut everything. And um, the lawmakers, the legislatures, some of them cried on, on camera because they cared about so many things and they had had, we'd had the money before and we had to cut it out. Right. And they cried because they were like, we have no choice. This is what we have to do this year. We have a surplus and all of us are getting money back from the state four or $500, but that's another conversation anyway, because Coloradans do get money 
every year or so from the state. It's like an ongoing thing, like Alaska, but Alaska gets more. My point is sometimes I wish that we would do that with the federal government because I think it would force legislatures on both sides of the aisle to sacrifice for the things that they care about, to be honest. I think we need to take care of Americans first, but it has to be fair. And, you know, the student debt relief or student loan recommendations that are out there do not make any kind of sense. We need an educated workforce, no question. But giving money, free money to people and asking people at the lower levels to pay for it, that makes no sense to me, none whatsoever. Also, everybody needs to pay their fair share of taxes. You know, there, half the people in the United States pay no taxes whatsoever. And everybody looks towards the rich. Well, they can afford it, but they're already paying a disproportionate amount of taxes. And the unfortunate part is the middle class ends up picking up the rest. The people that are buying houses, trying to raise families, trying to put their kids through school that have real expenses. Um, I'm not saying tax the poor, by the way. Uh, And I'm not certainly saying that the rich need a uh, tax break. I guess what I would say is Americans, we should, when, when politicians go out there, they need to think of America first. And they don't all the time. We give trillions of dollars away or billions of dollars, I should say, to countries that hate our guts. And we need to support the taxpayer and make life better for for those people. We cannot and should not uh, put Americans second. Uh, I know this sounds like more of a political speech, which it's not intended to, but getting back to my idea, if you want to help people, give them an education and put the burden of being efficient on the schools themselves and only charge Americans. If you have to charge interest, charge them a very low interest rate to pay for the servicing of the student loans. Also, the quality of the education. I had just had a gentleman in here in this office who went back to school, which I commended him for, but he did one of these online universities. And I told him, uh, you know, when I, as an employer of hundreds of people, look at people's resumes and I see the, that particular online university, I pass over it immediately because it's not good. Um, it's just the quality of education is not good. And they're charging him $26,000 for an education that is not good. And it's a, it's a joke uh, in this one online university. And we all know it. We've all have seen these companies uh, advertised on TV. And getting back to your question, our politicians have to start watching out for the people that put them in office. And they don't always watch out for the average guy. 
they, they watch out for who's writing them checks and political contributions to keep them in office. And that's a big problem with the United States right now. I think that this is a great point to end our conversation. One of the things I do want to say is I've begun to be fascinated by the comments that the guests in this series have made. Again, you guys are on, a lot of you guys are are very different people and having a conversation from very like separate standpoints, but all of you are starting to, there's like a consensus actually that's starting to come up in terms of the solutions. And it's fascinating to me. I feel like this administration and whomever is the next one needs to listen to this series because a lot of smart people have helped help me do this. And you guys are very different people from different walks of life coming up with the same solutions, which tells me something. It gives me chills. It's like fascinating. For those folks who would like to follow you, find out what you do, could you share who you are and what you do one more time? Sure. My name is Howard Dvorkin. I'm chairman of Debt.com. I'm a CPA. I have been helping people get out of debt for 30 years and maybe even 35 years. If you count the time when the times when I was uh, worked for an accounting firm and doing this, but in essence, I get people out of debt and I make them sleep better at night. I have done this Myself, with my teams, have done this for well over 10 million people over the course of the last 30 years. And you bring up an incredible question. Perspective is right on. And I think you are on the right path. It is not an easy thing to discuss. Everybody has an opinion. And there is no one opinion other than mine that's correct. (laughs) (laughs) But I will commend you for bringing it to the forefront and hearing other people. But in finance has to be fair for everybody. And and giving away money just because is not the answer. We have lost our way in this country and the values that this country was formulated on. Hard work, education has somewhere gotten lost along the way.